Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we look at the wide and wonderful world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have new stories including Volvo car ad material removed after a complaint. I give a report on the adventurous trip into the countryside in an all-electric mini and while we were there we asked the 1966 Bathurst 500 winner Bob Holden who also drove a Mini then, but an old one, to have a drive and give us his impression of the new Mini. Alan Zervis road tests the Alpha Julia, and we couldn't give up the opportunity when talking to 88-year-old Bob Holden to ask him how he drove across to London just to drive back in the London to Sydney Marathon. Now you can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. And of course, there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So we have a packed program, which we will begin with the news. Volvo Australia has scaled back an advertising campaign after an ad standards ruling. The Volvo ad showed various scenes of extremely busy parents looking after young children. Then the mother is seen driving, apparently tired and falling asleep. When the car veers towards an oncoming truck, Volvo's lane keep aide automatically corrects it back into her lane. She wakes up and text on the screen says, The car that looks after you like you look after others. The ad includes a disclaimer that technology is not a substitute for driver control. The ad panel concluded that the ad breached FCAI Clause 2D, which states, in part, that advertisements should not portray people driving while being apparently fatigued in a manner that is against any laws. Volvo has defended its approach, citing the disclaimer and its international activities for road safety, but will not use the offending scenes again. Reports of a Tesla crashing, catching fire and killing the two occupants in Texas have again raised issues about the perception and the reality of automated vehicle functions. It's reported that the car was travelling at speed and that no one was sitting in the driver's seat, but Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, claimed that the car was not in autopilot mode. Full investigations are ongoing, but discussion about autonomous driving should at least consider that Tesla has been strongly criticised for calling its system autopilot. For although they may say, and its documents may note, that drivers must keep their hands on the wheel, quite a few people think that this is unnecessary. Consequently, critics say, at best, it should be called semi-autopilot. And secondly, the car crashed in a rural setting where line marking is limited or non-existent. There can be a huge danger if perception exceeds reality. Maserati has launched a hybrid version of its Ghibli large sedan. Maserati Marketing says that this is their first step into the world of electrification and the first tangible steps in Maserati's new era. Maserati saw the current situation as a challenge to enter the world of electrification without altering the brand's core philosophy and values. They say that the Ghibli is the best possible hybrid. 
But in terms of reducing dependence on fossil fuels and reducing pollution, it's not a giant step into the future. The system is a mild hybrid that still relies mostly on a 2-litre turbocharged petrol engine putting out 246 kilowatts that can accelerate the vehicle from 0 to 100 kilometres an hour in just 5.7 seconds. The Ghibli Hybrid has a new exterior and interior design and comes in a distinctive blue colour to make it easily recognisable. The Volkswagen ID.4 all-electric SUV has won the World Car of the Year award. 93 international journalists from 28 countries make up the jury panel. To be eligible for the award, a vehicle must be produced in volumes of at least 10,000 units a year, must be priced below the luxury car level in their primary markets, and must be on sale in at least two major markets on at least two separate continents. Another electric car, the Honda e, was one of the three finalists, and the other finalist was the Toyota Yaris, which, while not cheap in our market, has a hybrid option and a class-leading list of safety and comfort features, especially for a small vehicle. This is the fifth time Volkswagen has won the World Car of the Year, but possibly one of its most important, coming after Dieselgate that first surfaced in 2015. And that has been the news. During the week, we had an adventure of driving to the north coast of New South Wales in an electric Mini to visit our good friend Bob Holden, who won Bathurst in the old-style Mini in 1966. Well, it was certainly an adventure. You may remember we did a story two weeks ago about how our own Rob Fraser had a flat tyre and had to put on a space saver spare. With all the inconveniences in driving home on the motorway, at no more than 80 kilometres an hour. The Mini took us one stage further. The roads up there were badly damaged in places by the rain, and a pool of water can easily hide a deep pothole. We found one. The front left tyre went flat. Now, the new Mini has no spare, no jack, and no wheel brace. It has a little box that you can plug into the cigarette lighter to pump up a tyre, at the same time filling it with some glue that can seal up small holes. It worked, but I didn't realise that the solution was only suitable to travel a short distance to a tyre dealer. So the next day the tyre deflated in the middle of nowhere on a motorway on the way home. Why would you not have a full-size spare? Well, in defence of the manufacturers, the market is pushing for better fuel economy, so it helps to lower the weight. We all want more space in the vehicle, and we have a love affair with big rims and low-profile tyres with reduced sidewalls. I've got to say, BMW's roadside assistants offered extensive help with towing to the nearest BMW dealership, a hire car for up to seven days, and a taxi voucher. Unfortunately, it was the end of the school holidays. Renter cars were hard to come by because during COVID, companies sold a lot of their vehicles and now local touring is booming. We didn't even get to the point of a taxi into the rural regions. To be helpful, I stayed the night at Buller Dealer and went down to Newcastle the next day in a tow truck. It has often been said that the country and regional areas have some great characters, 
but I don't perceive a strong feeling of extending that to tow truck drivers. Now, my tow truck driver had been in the business, including owning a mechanic shop and other relevant businesses, for over 50 years. He could call a spade a bloody shovel, or perhaps even worse. And he had seen some horrible things at road crashes and some poor attitude from some drivers. But he had also been awarded an OAM for volunteer services to the community, including through the local Lions Club. And he had a sense of humour. He had bought a Ram truck, one of those big pickups from America, with a 5.7 litre V8. Turns out he couldn't use it for a tow truck and a personal vehicle because of some bureaucratic issues. Now, these vehicles use a lot of fuel. He said that when he drove into the main street of Bulladeela, all the petrol bowsers leant towards him as if to say, pick me, pick me. <laughs> he is everything about the good-hearted, take-it-as-it-comes aspects of the Australian character. I also chatted to a policeman who did a lot of school talks on road safety and also drove a BMW highway patrol car and they had had three punctures in the last two weeks. You're listening to Overdrive. Citroen C3 brings some character and flair to a crowded, small SUV segment. With two-tone colouring, highlighting fog lights, external mirrors, air bump door trims and roof, the C3 has unique styling. The interior matches this style with a definite French flavour. Features include a 7-inch touchscreen with smartphone mirroring, sat-nav, and the air bump door linings are an excellent way of protecting against car park bumps. Citroen's C3 hatch is powered by a 1.2-litre drivetrain, paired to a six-speed automatic transmission driving the front wheels only. The transmission is a little jerky around town, but the engine is willing and economical. Safety is a focus with reversing camera, driver alert, autonomous emergency braking, lane departure warning, speed sudden recognition, and automatic headlights and wipers. Priced at around $30,000 mark, there are drive-away deals that your local deal can discuss. The Citroen C3 is an urban SUV for those buyers looking for something with individuality. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. After he had had a drive of the electric mini on some rural secondary roads, I asked the 1966 Bathurst winning driver in a Mini Cooper S at the time, Bob Holden, how did he cope with an electric vehicle? Now, Bob, you drove the new Mini, the BMW Minis, when they first launched. I think you uh, went around Australia and, and demonstrated them or showed them a bit, didn't you? Oh, not quite around Australia, but I think we went to Tasmania and different places. Mm. But uh, yeah. no, that was just, it was very nice to be asked. Mm. And I think they loaned me one a few times and things like that, which was good, mm. wasn't it? Everyone that you had driven up until now was an internal combustion engine. Certainly. Is, is this the first electric vehicle you've driven? I've never seen one before, <laughs> let alone driven one. <laughs> okay, so what was your first response? Turning it on, that was different? Well, just immediately no noise was the biggest difference. But um, the performance of it is quite different to a normal car. In what way? Well, the torque, the torque is there, I believe. I hadn't found out, but I knew it was there initially. But it then tends to torque in effect, or the torque effect seems to get less 
but it's a totally different feeling in every sort of way. Well, it gets off the line very quickly, doesn't it? Well, that's because of the talk. Hmm. Like it just tells the wheels to get our asses in the gear. It's as simple as that, you know? And, but as you travel along, again, you get no engine noise. No, there's no noise, but the feeling's there. And I sort of live on a car to me is a car if it feels like a car. If it doesn't feel like a car, well, it feels like a junk box. <laughs> and there's quite a few of them around, I can guarantee it, especially older ones. But today's cars, on the average, are way above anything we ever used to have, even close to 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. They've just, tra- you know, just improved so much. Mm-hmm. And 99% of those technically. You would have found the technology in the new Mini to be overwhelming. It was for me because... The uh, latest car I driven was probably Falcons, and, and they're pretty um, yeah. ordinary yes. in their own way. You know, oh. they, they do the job. That's the important bit. But they just they used to be that much nice technology in them. Like, things used to work good and everything. But uh, but when you compare with the current run of cars, it's just mind-boggling the difference in technicalities. The feel of the Mini as you drove it did it. Did it feel like a car? Did it feel well, something you could embrace? Well, the smoothness of it is the, the, the important thing, which, of course, is helped by the super smooth engine or power, power arrival situation. But the car itself, it's obviously... I've spent a lot of, t- a lot of time improving on even the, the BMW Mini, the first ones. It just seems better to me than they ever felt, like the first ones of those... Because I haven't driven one, I don't think I, I'm pretty sure I haven't driven one since the first probably batch that came to the country. Hmm. Steering, good. You couldn't call it steering because it just it was so smooth it just happened. You know? hmm. <laughs> didn't have to think about it. It just did it, and there was no you couldn't feel the road even though you could hear the noise from the road surface, and you could hear the noise from the the bumps, the lumps on the bitumen, especially around here, because it's all mostly flood country, which is in a bad way. The whole feel of it is just unbelievable, really, I reckon. It's you really, really enjoyed really it? Is. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to play again a bit more and <laughs> some, go, go some places, but <laughs> uh, it's just a special little car. It's really, well, big car now. I can't believe how, how good it is and how well they've continued a program and kept it in front of itself all the way. Mm. I think that's a funny way of putting it, but it's grown with the technology. Mm. But driving Bathurst, of course, it was a very small engine car. Mm. You had to be effective and efficient. You couldn't afford to lose speed there. Oh, no, no, no. you got to keep it going all the time. And that's where I had a big advantage because most of the people, like Harry Firth and Gibson and all those people, were used to driving big cars. And once you've driven a big car, you certainly can't drive a little one properly. Yes. Rano was a good listener to your advice about being efficient around the Bathurst circuit. Well, that was pretty... It was a bit... Nearly too much for me to tell the world's best driver how to, what he should do, but fortunately he'd been very, well, he's more than intelligent, he's absolutely brilliant, but he... Uh, he knew how to he, listen. He, he sussed out what I was saying, and then when I 
actually took him out to, to show him and test the differences that I wanted to do. So he was away. He was ready. He was ready to go. He was all ears, too. Yeah. He but was because he was intelligent. Hmm. Especially when, in my case, at that stage, I was sort of the junior member of everything and the teams and all. But most of the people, just on principle, wouldn't listen, wouldn't want to listen, and certainly wouldn't want to take any notice of you because you... Because it's the way the world is and the way people are. <laughs> your particular, sense? well, one of your particular inputs was going up through the cutting, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, that was just to keep, uh, take the most load off the car to make it progress up over the hill because it's quite a steep, steep bit of road. Hmm. This is Overdrive across Australia. When I was stuck in Newcastle the other day, I was very fortunate that our good friend from Gay Carboys, Alan Zervis, made a trip, made a dedication, put himself out to drive to Newcastle to get me. Then again, he was driving an Alfa Romeo. I wonder how much that was an inconvenience. Let's find out. Alan, was it such a task to come to my rescue? It was a... To our sheer joyful task, that's what it was. So, Alan, what sort of alpha was it? I was in the base model Julia, David. It is magnificent. I've got to say that from the outset. And it's at 63,950, one of three models. We've also got the Veloce and the Quadrifoglio. Now, we're talking here about a medium-sized sedan. Yeah, well, it's an Italian sports sedan, so medium on the outside and not so medium on the inside. But it's not one of their little smaller, might I say, quirkier, the word ugly came to mind, but I'll, I'll use the word quirkier, Alfa Romeo. Absolutely not. I, and I think uh, we were standing near the beachfront really admiring the looks of this Julia. It is probably their most stunning looking car in, oh gosh, years. This has evolved, I guess, out of the 156 to the 159. The 156, I thought, was a bit cutesy. The 159, I thought, was beautiful. I gave it a Car of a Year award, one category of the car to be seen driving in a posh suburb in. And this continues uh, the heritage? It takes that beautiful, almost wedge-shaped look of the 159, uh, which also, you know, it, that it looked good as a coupe or a convertible. It was just gorgeous. And it, it brings it into the uh, second decade of the 20th century. The Brera, I think they called the two-door coupe, didn't they? It's not too many creases and angles on it, is there? No, this one's more smoothed off, but it's still got that Alfa Romeo grille, that very distinctive grille. You were saying it has uh, three engines. It goes from the sublime to the ridiculous, but ridiculous in almost in the sense of superpower. Base model sport starts at 147 kilowatts with 330 newton meters and then that same engine is tuned up for 206 kilowatts and 400 newton meters and i wish they'd just have that engine only because that's brilliant then the quadrifolio this is a slightly insane twin turbo v6 with 375 kilowatts and 600 newton meters the middle one there was about what a wrx Subaru was. Now, when you take it up, what, two-thirds mm. of, of the amount to get to the top one, that must go like a rocket. I think I think we should try that at some stage. 
The other thing too, of course, is the price, which is 71000 for the Veloce. So that's not a huge step up from the Sport, but the Quadrifolio is 138950 So that's a huge step up. Inside, has it got elegance? Well, I think we both thought it was uh, the very last, latest word in Italian tasteful interior decoration. It's not too much, not too little. I think we both like the start-stop button that was on the uh, steering wheel. Everything is just beautifully placed and exactly where you expect it to be. The thing that struck me most was that the screen was incorporated within the fascia with a curving line around the top of it from the fascia rather than the screens that, to me, they often look like one buck tooth added onto a dashboard in many vehicles. This was incorporated as though... They always wanted to have one there rather than sticking one on at the last minute. Very easy to use, operates very much like a smartphone. Getting into the back, once you're in there, wasn't bad, but the actual ingress and egress wasn't that simple. Well, that's why I made you do it. Alan, you would sum it up then as? I'd call this an adequately powered GT. It's not too little, not too much and for the 63 and some change i think well worth the money so we give it the goldilocks award well i think it's the car that everybody would like to have in the garage even if they had to stretch to afford it alan given that i was stranded because the mini didn't have a spare tire where does the alpha fit in that provision I'm glad you asked. The repair kit that came with your Mini didn't work, and I've never had one work yet in more than a decade of flat tyres with those things. The Alpha doesn't have that problem because it's got a proper spare tyre. As all good touring cars should. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. See you next time. And that's Alan Service from Gay Car Boys, who did a rescue mission in the nicest vehicle imaginable. This is Overdrive across Australia. COVID has changed the LCV market, especially in the 3.5 to 8 tonne range of vehicles. The LDV Deliver 9 is a cost-effective choice in this competitive segment. I drove the long wheelbase high-roof variant that is powered by a 2-litre 4-cylinder producing 110 kilowatts, 375 newton metres from just 1,500 revs. It drives the rear wheels through a 6-speed automatic transmission. Safety features include stop-start engine functionality, adaptive cruise control, autonomous emergency braking, electronic stability control, excellent reverse camera, lane departure warning, plenty of airbags, plus more. The driver's position is pretty comfortable, with an easy-to-read dash, smartphone connectivity and a 10.1-inch touchscreen. Dual external rear-view mirrors are a bonus. Load area practicality comes from a side sliding door, rear 180-degree opening doors and a huge capacity with wide floor area. Priced from around 44726 plus the usual costs, it represents excellent value. I'm Rob Fraser. We've talked a lot about Bob Holden winning Bathurst back in 1966, but gee, he's done a whole pile of other things, including racing at the Nürburgring and Spa and a lot of other places. He also drove across to London in order to turn around and drive back again in the London to Sydney Marathon. 
I think of your efforts at London to Sydney because I think you took the car over via land. Drove it over, yeah, we drove, drove it over. Yeah, you drove one over, yeah. But you see other countries at a local level. You don't, oh, yeah, yeah. You're not just flying into airports. Well, that, that's right. We fly into airport. Well, we did that on one trip and usually organised it so they had the chance to go local even then. Because I like doing that, I like meeting other people, and, uh, which is a bit scary this day and age. Like, no way known could you do some of the things I did this day and age. Just wouldn't be possible if he's up here, head parked on the bit of road, on the road beside you, sort of thing. <laughs> but um, no, I've I've had away from the motor motor sport, just the, the people associations, particularly with that sort of. On those sort of trips, like we've had little adventures with those. Like on one of the drive <coughs> drive over ones, um, we in India we had to go south a little bit to cross one of the big rivers to progress through Pakistan and to across that part of the world. Well, we arrived at this big, huge bridge over this big river sort of thing. River. Well, it was a river anyway, let's face it, but you can hardly see it, it was that far down. And they had a, a causeway thing across it, but it was only one way. And you had to wait until those lot went before you were allowed to go that way sort of thing. And there was also a train line on it. And if the train came, you were really stuck because no one could go anywhere. But the thing is, we were sitting in a line-up in there and a car pulls up beside me because he'd had to jump the queue to get to me because he saw the car, because we had Australia written across the back of it, I suppose, that got him going. And uh, this bloke had uh, been engine training with his engineers thing in, in Australia. And then you start talking to people. And this particular guy... He was from a, a city or a town or whatever they were, village, I suppose, on the other side. And uh, he invited us into his house to have, to, uh, I don't know whether we, we, I don't think we stayed, I think we might have even stayed the night there. But um, that sort of, you learn more once oh. again about people. Wow. You, you would have seen it. At a very earthy level, yeah, at a that's very right. that's yeah. Right. yeah, because you, you you never really wanted to hobnob with people, did you? You no, we couldn't afford. Yeah, we couldn't afford to go posh anyway. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like we used to do, usually run um, three nights without stopping, like progressing, like for three days and two nights before we can have a hotel or something because it's just so bloody expensive. We just do it. We travelled and, and progressed as well. Someone drove and someone slept in the car? And... Yeah, well, dear bit. We got radio and these people couldn't believe to see a radio or sound like it was music and stuff on it. It wasn't, they were only used to communication type radio. Anyway, because it was we had a top um, <coughs> shortwave radio in the car, so we were way better than the average person would have had anyway. And and anyway, the 
they sort of died half in the car to say, you know, hang on, and then what really made it for us, one of them hung on to the aerial. Of course, when he touched the aerial, the noise stopped. And I belted his hand and got him off, because it was on my side. I belted his hand and I let go, and he, he automatically grabbed it again. I hit him again, and then the other, others were going hook at him for sopping the radio. <laughs> and in the middle of that, I just sort of hit, hit the button and chung, went the, I went the wrong way as far as I were concerned. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, and uh, we finished up with a bullet hole in the back of the car, but that didn't matter. <laughs> but it's silly things. Like That particular little trip was quite interesting. Not long after that, we got to a control point which was on the Afghan-Pakistan border. And the thing was, we went in on this little dirt track thing, went into the control point, and to turn around, we had actually to go around the Afghanistan bit to be able to get onto the other side. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to Bob Holden, BMW Roadside Assist, Alan Zervis and Paul Just, and the Overdrive team for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or there's our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.